to provide a little background history of the Methodist women's activities as they relate to the church over the last 150 years, we're going to present three little historical sketches of the span the years of about 1860s to the 1960s. In May of 1868, 24-year-old Elizabeth Bingham Young and her new husband, Ingerton Ryerson Young, an ordained minister in the Wesleyan Church of Canada, were serving a prestigious church in Hamilton, Ontario. Unexpectedly, they were sent by the Methodist Missions Committee to the far northwest territories of Canada as missionaries to the Cree people. In her memoirs, Mission Life in Cree Ojibwe Country, Elizabeth presents a rarely seen and fascinating view into the Methodist mission field, writing about her experiences not as an ordained minister, I'm sorry, as an appointed missionary, but as the wife of a missionary. Left alone at the main mission homes for weeks and sometimes even months at a time while her husband was out in the field evangelizing various Native American tribes, she developed relationships with the Cree. In a review of Elizabeth's memoirs, Patricia Thompson writes, Ojibwe men and women lived near the mission house. She learned their language, generously shared whatever she had to improve the lives of the impoverished locals, and provided medical care to the families, often stretching her own family's scarce provisions to the very limits. She also played her little melodian instrument, singing the Methodist hymns in the Cree language. Unlike mission, many missionary families whose primary purpose seemed to have been to encourage Native peoples to give up many of their trans traditions as they became Christianized, these memoirs provide a portrait of a family who respected many of these traditions. In 1914, Ethel Harps was appointed by the Women's Home Missionary Society of the Methodist Church to a poor mill village in Cedartown, Georgia. She taught adults as well as children to read and write, conducted worship services, and cared for the sick. Severe outbreaks of typhoid fever, tuberculosis, and influenza left many children orphaned and in her care. In 1924, she established the Harps Home with the permission of the Mission Society. The home was continued to grow and expand during the Great Depression and World War II. Harps traveled to raise funds for a new home, and in 1927, the first modern building, James Hall, was completed and just in time for children who were displaced and orphaned during the Great Depression. An answer to prayer was the interest and attention shown by Mr. and Mrs. Henry Pfeiffer of New York. Through the Pfeiffers and several other friends, money was raised to allow more buildings to be constructed on the campus over the next 20 years. Hundreds of acres of land were contributed to the cause. All this is thanks to the dedication and tenacity of HARPS to continue fundraising. Today, the site houses the Murphy Harps Residential Home Program, where Georgia's severely abused children can go for healing and therapy. In 2010 and 2011, the program served nearly 300 children, including 97 children in residential treatment.
Here is a legacy story by Dorothy Ravenhorst about women in the Virginia Conference taking a stand for the Charter for Racial Justice. It was during this turbulent time in May 1965 that our conference president, Margaret Pegg Tyrell, decided to bring the Charter for Racial Justice forward to our Virginia annual meeting. She took a great risk trying to get it adopted at this time when so many were divided about segregation in integrated schools in Virginia. Knowing that the presiding officer could not speak for or against an issue on the floor, Peg stepped down, handing her duties to the vice president in order to present the charter herself. There were over 1,300 present at the meeting including guests and visitors, but only 439 voting delegates. Peg made a persuasive and passionate presentation using her best theology. After much discussion, the vote was taken and it carried by more than two-thirds. As a white woman with three children in public schools and two in college at the time, I remember being so proud to be a member of the Women's Society of Christian Service and I was so proud of our conference pre president, Peg Tyrell, who led us on the right side of history. So you've heard a few stories about UMW, where we've been. But where are we now and where are we headed? What are we all about? Our purpose, we recite each meeting. United Methodist Women shall be a community of women whose purpose is to know God and to experience freedom as whole persons through Jesus Christ, to develop a creative, supportive fellowship, and to expand concepts of mission through participation in the global ministries of the church. We are the next chapter in the continuing history of United Methodist Women preparing to thrive in our local circles, districts, and conferences. From the very beginning in 1869, our strength and commitment were centered in the local unit and its passion for mission. Like Tabitha, mentioned in our scripture in Acts, we come to the table offering what we have to support mission with women, children, and youth throughout the world. We follow in a long line of forward-looking women who have made a difference. I'm sure most of you are aware of our UMW bake sales and our annual craft fair. Thank you for your past support. So you're probably wondering, well, where does that money go? Well, we set a budget each year and decide which organizations, missions that we would like to contribute to. Just to name a few this year, our Learning Academy Scholarship, The Rock, the New Beginning Center, the Pastors Fund, the Wesley Rankin Center, Good Samaritan, Dallas Methodist Hospital Auxiliary, the Bethlehem Center, Running for Clean Water, Hope Clinic, Methodist Auxiliary Nurses Scholarship, and Jonathan's Place. But we don't just provide financial support. We are also active throughout the year supporting different mission efforts. Our ladies are active in organizing our Meals on Wheels monthly drivers, preparing annual college packages, providing birthday cards for each of our youth, 
and not just the ladies, <laughs> organizing and carrying out the annual Easter egg hunt, cleaning the greenhouse, serving on the Methodist Medical Center Dallas Hospital Auxiliary, sewing bags for UMCOR, running for clean water, and the list goes on. We are also involved with United Methodist Women nationwide efforts. I wanted to share with you a few of my own personal experiences in that regard. One of the organizations United Methodist Women helps support is the United Farm Worker Ministry, and that is a ministry that advocates for a living wage and fair working conditions for our farmers. The ministry notifies its supporters of ways that they can help, and one of the ways I participated was by taking a letter to Starbucks, urging them to stop buying milk from a dairy who was not supporting a living wage and fair working conditions. Also, United Methodist Women is urging Wendy's to sign on to the Fair Food Agreement, as they are the last of five major food chains to do so. In the area of climate justice, I signed a petition to Chevron. This is the third petition United Methodist Women has sent to Chevron to urge them to support regulation of methane emissions reductions, like their peers BP, Exxon, and Shell have already done. Reducing these emissions is relatively cheap, and it's important for the environment. While methane doesn't linger as long in the atmosphere as carbon dioxide, it is initially far more devastating to the climate because of how effectively it absorbs heat. In the first two decades after its release, methane is 84 times more potent than carbon dioxide. So you might say, well, why, are these, why is United Methodist behind these initiatives? Well, it's because it cares for God's earth, his creation, and for his people. What better way to follow the great commandments to love God with heart, soul, and mind, and love neighbor as thyself? United Methodist Women is continuing to help women prepare for informed mission action through spiritual growth, and transformative educational experiences, leadership development, training, and opportunities for service and advocacy. The goal is for United Methodist Women to be recognized as a leading organization and a trusted source of leadership and inspiration. Cultivate and increase engagements, membership and giving, and move women to new levels of leadership and action to build a thriving organization and change the world. A particular program I wanted to highlight that helps support us for mission work is the UNW Reading Program. So one of the little children was right on when they said, we need books to support us in our mission. We keep a library of books. Brandy organizes that program for us, and our our book selection changes each year, and they are centered on mission leadership development, nurturing for community, social action, and spiritual growth. And I like to say that Brandy has read the most books, <laughs> but, but we're trying to catch up with her this year. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about a book that I am currently reading that was in our leadership category. 
It's entitled Eleanor, a Spiritual Biography, the Faith of the 20th Century's Most Influential Woman. I'm sure you could probably guess it's about Eleanor Roosevelt. Now, even though our former First Lady was an Episcopalian, I'm not going to hold it against her, all the things she did, she certainly could be an honorary member of United Methodist Women. She was ahead of her time in bringing issues of women, the poor, and the disadvantaged to the forefront. While I don't have time to elaborate on all the great things that she did, I thought it telling that she kept the following prayer of St. Francis of Assisi in her purse at all times and at her bedside. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. She certainly stood for much of what UMW supports today and has certainly provided me with inspiration to continue the work of UMW. So what can we expect in the coming years from United Methodist Women As you saw and was alluded to in the video, we are already engaging in mission priorities for the next four years and beyond. Regarding climate justice, United Methodist Women will advocate for a 25% reduction of carbon emissions by the top two contributing sectors by 2024. We will do this by engaging in shareholder campaigns, urging corporations to comply with rather than fight standards that will reduce their carbon emissions. Economic inequality. United Methodist women will push for the adoption of legislation that builds the base for a living wage in at least 25 states and municipalities by 2022. Mass incarceration and the criminalization of communities with color. United Methodist Women will focus on interrupting the school-to-prison pipeline that places too many children on an adversarial path with law enforcement. To accomplish this, we will work for a 25% decrease in school arrest in the most impacted areas by 2020. We will also push for zero-tolerance policies in schools to be redesigned to protect rather than criminalize children by 2020. And regarding maternal and child health, United Methodist Women will focus on decreasing maternal mortality. Did you know in the United States, the maternal mortality rate has steadily increased from 7.2 deaths 
per 100,000 live births in 1987 to a high of 17.8 deaths per 100,000 live births in 2009 and 2011, according to the U.S. Center for Disease Control. As a result, United Methodist Women will advocate for the establishment of maternal mortality review boards in all 50 states by 2020. We will also develop networks of women's health advocates to fight for comprehensive reproductive health care and education by 2020. These are ambitious goals and leadership at all levels of our UMW will be essential to meet these goals. But make no mistake, it's not just about achieving the goals, but about creating a thriving organization at all levels to help women, children, and youth thrive, because when they thrive, we all thrive. I want to leave you with this quote one of our members, Nancy Zucker, shared with me from author and minister Edward Everett Hale. I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And I will not let what I cannot do interfere with what I can do. United Methodist Women, come join us and be a part of the next 150 years.